podcast where best friends and next door neighbors, Willow and Lillian, spill the tea on murder, mysteries, and other things that go bump in the night. So get your favorite teacup ready and let's get into it. Welcome to Cruelty Podcast. This is Lillian. And with me, as always, is Willow. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I don't know why I said it like that all weird. How are you? (laughs) Ah, It's been a whole ass day. It has been an ass day. Just a shitty, stinky, poo-poo, dog shoe day. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. We're not going to dwell on it or even talk about it much. Not if at all. <laughs> no, no. Well, nobody wants to hear the stupid, boring minutiae of my lame-ass life. <sighs> at least, well, here's, here's the thing. I don't want to talk about it, and I can't imagine anyone that would want to listen to the various foibles of my ridiculous life. Oh, y'all don't want to hear about how no. gruesome my bathtub looked after my child, not once, but twice... Just annihilated his entire pants <laughs> all the way up to his shoulders. Yeah. We're not going to do that. Today. We're not going to. That's as much as you're going to hear. No. no. It's not even going to be on the Patreon, so you're not even going to. I don't even want to talk about mine because it's boring and stupid. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so this is cult month. It is cult we are, month. We are officially in the dead of cult month. <laughs> and, um. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just going to put this in here before we get started, which we're doing in like 30 seconds. But if you want extra episodes on cults that aren't necessarily involving murder, but are hilarious and or strange, join our Patreon, patreon.com slash cruelty, where I dive into all sorts of dumb cult things that are hilarious to me mm-hmm. in particular, like people who worship aliens. I think that's funny. So I'm going to give a little disclaimer. I like it when you do it. Are you ready? You do it, you do it nice. This episode contains graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Oh, I really went. I, I was yeah, feeling you did it. really good. There. I felt it. Yeah. Definitely don't eat anything unless you're unless you're me and don't have been completely desensitized to all forms of yuck. Yeah. But this is going to be pretty vile, this and is pretty I rough. don't know a lot about it. I know enough to know that it's gross. So. Buckle up and hold Buckle on to your butts. What's this about, Willow? This is about the narco-Satanists uh, with the ringleader of Adalto de Jesus, Constanzo. This sounds super fun. Yeah, it's got your, you know, favorite. It's got my spicy word. daddy yep. in there. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm, devil. Mm-hmm. So he was born November 1st, 1962. What does that make him? A Scorpio? Yeah. Y'all and he's so he's so me. intense. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. Um, his mother was a woman uh, by the name of Delia Gonzalez, and Ardelia, and she was only fifteen whenever he was born. Um, she was a Cuban immigrant who had escaped from uh, a Cuban revolution, and she ended up having several marriages and I think up to three other children after him. But Adolfo was always her favorite. And she kind of only paid attention to him. She brought him everywhere. And um, she did a lot of traveling and a lot of moving. She lived in a lot of different places. Um, Predominantly in Miami area. 
but she lived in San Juan, Puerto Rico for a little bit. She brought him to Haiti. She brought him to Mexico. She brought him to a lot of places around there so he could get, you know, a very well-rounded idea of culture. Um, and a lot of these places really affected him. Um, but, and, and she ended up taking him at some point in his upbringing to a Catholic church and he was actually a, a Catholic, um, altar boy at one point in time. Um, which I really, after doing, cause I always hear that as one of his, um, uh, descriptors, but it's never really brought up anywhere in his life. So I don't really know when he had a chance to fit in being an altar boy at a Catholic or a Catholic church, but he did. Um, and I say that because he was mostly enamored with his mother's native religion, um, Haitian, uh, Palerio or better known as Paulo Mayombe. Oh, I know a little about the Paulo Mayombe. Yeah. So Paulo Mayombe is a very interesting religion. Um, and I did a deep dive, uh, just really trying to soak up what it means to, to study and be a practitioner of Palomayombe. And now Palomayombe is rooted in the Congo, um, and Africa. And it's also, uh, called Palomonte or the Las Reglas de Congo, which basically means that it is... Basically, the, it was at one point the main religion of Congo, or it was derived from the main religion of Congo. Before colonization and all of that horseshit. Yeah, shit. yeah. It's got this really fancy phrase for it called African Diasporic Religion, which I was like, ooh, that sounds fancy. What does that mean? And it basically it's means... Not fancy. No, it means it means we stole people from one continent, took them to another continent, and so their religions had to bleed. Yeah, basically <laughs> what happened was is you took a culture from one place, you moved them to another, and you were mad they still brought their culture with them. Yes, yes. yes. But you put a big fancy title over it so that way it doesn't sound racist. Um, or but, evil. Or evil, yeah. yeah. And um, something that I didn't really connect until doing this research is that the reason why a lot of times you'll see um, African traditions mixed with Catholicism is because is not only that bleed over, but they believe that their spirits, um, either it's their ancestors or the gods or deities that they're worshiping or utilizing, um, that they can travel with them through like tangible objects, like just any objects really. Yeah. And so they'll mask the deities of, or the statues of, the reigning religion, like Catholicism, and just use that and say, okay, well, he's in that now, or she's in that well, yeah, now. Yeah, she's like the Virgin Mary. It's fine, don't kill me. Right, yeah. and I never realized that. That yeah. made so much sense to me, you know? Yeah, they weren't embracing the religion of the colonizers. They were hiding their religion and its symbolism. Yes, and which I is thought fucking that cool was fucking fantastic. Because especially Paulo Mayombe, like, this is a very strictly oral religion. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't something that, you know, you can just go study. This, I mean, close practice, y'all. Like, we respect that shit. Um you have and to... for those of you that don't know what a closed practice yes, is, that means that that culture or race or a group of people that it originated with has politely asked that you not 
if you're not a part of that culture, use it. Meaning I can't get super interested in Polo Mambe and practice it because I am a white chick in Arkansas. And that's offensive as fuck. Well, even if you were, like, of the Congo, like, you may be able to practice, and I'll go into it, but you'll, you may be able to practice other Polo religions, but, like, the, Not that one. the actual practices that go into the religion, you have to be asked to be in. Like, you... They, they have to teach you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you have to be sought after. You know what I mean? It's not like you can just go up to them and be like, hey, You either me. were raised in the community and it was a part of your lifestyle, or you have studied your ancestry, found that you have ancestors, and spoken to the elders and asked to be kind of grandfathered in. Right. Otherwise, no. Yeah. And there's some controversy over what is a closed practice and what isn't, but this one definitely is. And if you come at me, well, you yeah. can go to the butthole store. Yeah, go to the butthole store. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just laughing because in my notes I put, um, it's, that means it's a, that means. <laughs> Like Dora, that means that it's a de- <laughs> it's developed in um derived from developed in the Americas derived from Africa because why kids you guessed it racism like but I put that the- in my notes. <laughs> um, oh, that's good. Yeah, but um, but that being said, so Paulo Paulo Mayombe breaking down. Um, Paulo actually derives from the Spanish term which means sticks. And when you guys see the pictures of, uh, like, their rituals, you'll understand what it means by sticks. Um, Because the sticks play, like, a very vital role in this religion's practices. Now, Paulo is to, like, if you were to think of it in, um, like, Christianity sense, Paulo is to Christianity as Christianity is to like Catholicism or like um, uh, being a Baptist or it's it's like you know it's a sect yeah so Paulo is like the religion Mayombe is the sect got it does that make sense it does okay um, and so that being said there's plenty of, like there's tons of different types of Paulo but Mayombe is kind of like the darker sect. That's why I was interested. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I really uh, got into studying uh, more left-handed path religions and cults and beliefs a long time ago. And this one was so interesting to me. I I had never heard of this until this case. So as soon as I, like, heard just a little bit about this, I was like, ooh, this is delicious. I want to feast upon this. And I was like, I just soaked up all of this information like crazy. It's really cool. Um, so the, the other term Palo Monte actually translates to spirits embodied in the sticks of the forest. Um, and that being said that like when they utilize their sticks, whatever tree, like each, each um, sect had a different tree. So whatever sect you were, you would know that that's that's that sect's ritual because it had whatever tree um, associated with it. And they would use only that tree in rituals. Got it. And that would kind of... 
Like if I if 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 I were translating that, like uh, one sect would use a birch tree and one sect yes. would use an oak tree. Yes, yes, yes. They didn't. They just didn't have North American trees. So right. I, it was really hard for me to like put, you know, a mental image. Well, with I that tree. it for us. For, yeah, I really like it when you do that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> now, the centerpiece of the Palo Mayombe um, rituals and the, the centerpiece of their entire religion is a thing called the Nganga. Now, the Nganga is basically a vessel. Um, it can be either clay or um, pot or gourd, um, but it's usually seen as a cauldron. Mm-hmm. And um, this cauldron is usually wrapped really tightly with heavy chains. Um, and the nganga is a term that actually came from Africa. Um, that means it's referred to as a, as, as a man who oversees a re- religious ritual. So that would be like maybe like a priest right. or someone that would look over a ritual. Um Sorry, I'm losing my place uh, as I speak. But, so it's, the Nganga itself is considered an entity. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's given all of these, like... It's um, the priest presiding over this ritual, this vessel. But the vessel is it. You yes. know what I mean? Like, the vessel becomes the soul. The soul becomes the vessel. Like, it's really, yes. it's really interesting how far into it... They believe this magic goes like and what's curious to me uh, is common themes that run throughout all world religions, mm-hmm. because you'll notice the theme of empty vessels like cauldrons, yes. pots, sarcophagus. Yes. All kinds of stuff yes. have also been used in rituals throughout time to symbolize the human body. Right. That you then fill with the spirit. Right. That the and invocation is what brings forth the entity to fill the vessel. And isn't that weird how like it's it's actually utilized a lot. I like looking into the universal truths of things. If it's across the board, then... Yeah, you gotta go, hmm, wonder why mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. It sort of plays out as our consciousness showing us kind of the reality of the human condition. Right. That we, this body is a vessel carrying our consciousness. And I just, I don't know, I think that's a really neat zeitgeist and it makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool because like... I don't know. They use it as like the entire like the entire time they're using it for like the darkness and magic. But whenever you think about it as the light, like you can like most people that practice this form of magic are doing it for protection. They're doing it for, you know, abundance for their family. They're doing it for good. Um, this is just, you know, far left, right, like left field. Like <laughs> they they went down the very very dark path and really started fucking with some shit. Yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of things that happen that you're just like, I mean, is it fake? Is it real? Like I don't know. So anyway, so the Nganga it's it's called many many things. It's even called the little house, which I think is really cute. Oh, I love that. Um, and that a lot of people believe that the entity that you basically tie to the Nganga um, becomes basically a slave. And there's different sects believe that you become a slave to your Nganga or your Nganga becomes a slave to you. Um, But either way, there's that kind of relationship there. Only one spirit can inhabit Nganga at one time and you have to keep an Nganga um, separate. Like you can't have two like ritual sites in one room 
Right. Um, and a lot of people, uh, just to keep like their sanctuary pure, they, they build like a shed out back and that's very, very common. So, and then like some of the things that they would put in there in Ganga, um, is they would do all their sacrifices in there. Um, and everything would have like associations, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and ranking was very important in how powerful the spell was going to be. Um, you could have any, and this was, this was considered feeding your Nganga. You had to keep it fed in order for it to work basically. And, um, mm -hmm. and so you would feed it various things, uh, various animals like dogs or pigs or goats or birds, uh, mostly chickens. And if you were you know, working the darker path, you would use human. And, and I'll obviously get into that later, but the, this is a very, there's very, very strict rules here. Um, when you're using human sacrifices in your Nganga, um, once you start using human, whether it's like already a deceased person or fresh, um, you, you have to continuously feed them that. You know, you it's can't... It's like they've developed a taste for it. Exactly. Like, spot on. Um, that's exactly what happens. And so if you do not, uh, like, bad shit will happen to you. Um, it's one of those cautionary things. Like, I mean, you can do this, <coughs> but once you start, you better finish. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you... Gotta it's... keep the spirit appeased. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Keep it fat and happy. And there's all different ways to go about your Nganga, um, and I'll get into that in a second, but it's very interesting because um, it is almost like carrying a child. It's considered a child. You have to have a mother Nganga and a father Nganga to make a, a child Nganga. Like, it is it is so interesting how um, in-depth this belief runs. Like, it's... Well, it's, and it's something people cool. fail to realize with our watered-down version of religion today, especially even Christianity, which has been, like I said, it's been watered down. So it's palatable to right, modern people. Right, Um But it takes away some of the magic and the gravitas of prayer and ritual. But all religions and beliefs have their start in these very elaborate rituals and ceremonies. I right. mean, look at a fucking Catholic mass. It's weird. I've only been to one, but it's weird. I watched one on YouTube because my husband was raised Roman Catholic. And, oh, I think it's a cult, by the way. And, again, if you don't like that, go to the butthole store. Um, but, yeah, it's really fascinating to watch all the rituals and, like, the different sashes the priests wear mean different things. Right, and, right, and like, yeah. Mm-hmm. The different kinds of incense they burn and the songs that they sing, and it's a yep. whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's all droning at certain hertz and all this shit, too. Oh, like, yeah. it's fucking crazy. It puts you in a mood. Yeah. Um, so other things that you'll, like, see in Nganga um, as part of the rituals is just... just different plants, bones, shells, gemstones, coins, razor blades, knives, padlock, um, graveyard soil, obviously is a really big one, wax, um, liquor or wine, quicksilver, spices, uh, but most importantly are the sticks or the branches from the certain trees which designate which sect. Um, And these palos or these sticks would communicate with the spirit world. Usually there was uh, 
12. Um, I've seen up to 28 used in an Nganga. Um, but I'm assuming the different numbers mean different things. Yes. Um, so does the stick kind of serve as a transitory, almost like a psychopomp kind of? Yeah, like almost like... Um, Not like escorting someone to death, but kind of being the bridge between the mortal realm and it the is, invisible. It is. It's almost like, like an antenna, like a radio signal kind Not of thing. Cool. Like you tune into the right station, the right, right frequency for this shit. Right, okay, I like right. that. Um, and you'll notice that like a, I mean, across civilizations and time periods... The forest spirit is usually like a stag or yeah. something like that. Um, and like the branches of the trees, like usually like their, like their antlers, antlers yeah, look like cool. branches a lot of the time. They'll have like numerous and it almost look like a tree is growing out of their head. I've seen that depiction like just all the way across the board, um, cultures and civilizations. So I'm wondering if there's maybe a tie between that, like maybe... Well, and if you look at leafless trees and they look like arteries, just like in veins and skin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the forest is always going to be venerated as a... Because if you are a civilization that lives close to a forest, you're not the top of the food chain. So you're going to venerate the things that can kill you. Mm -hmm. And the things that give you life, too. Right. Because it's it's kind of... A forest is kind of all those things. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of belief that our souls go into the trees in between bodies. Yep. That's I've a heard huge that belief. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I don't know about that, but that's how they communicate um, is through those sticks. And so certain ingredients, like I said, would be chosen for um, different needs, different things that they needed of that spirit. Well, I've always found so, that like spell components, especially in hoodoo yes. um, are very, mm-hmm. and it, and this is similar to hoodoo. Mm-hmm. It, it I think they it share holds, some It holds hands with Santeria as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, ingredients are... The language of the spirit world is symbols. Yes. So when we have something like, I don't know, rusty nails hammered into a cow's tongue, that means we want that person to shut up. Yes. It's that kind yes. of thing. So these are symbols. When you have a padlock, it means you want to know something forbidden or you want yes. to keep something safe. Yes. So like that's what those components, I'm mm-hmm. assuming, mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're speaking in symbols to the spirits. Right, right. Like one of the examples that was given was um, like as if uh, a bat skeleton would be put in there, for instance, if they needed to, they needed the Ngaga to be able to see and travel at night. These kinds of things. Oh, we're almost like building the abilities of our you spirit. Are. That's, That's so exactly cool. what it is. So every single ritual um, adds to the ability of the Nganga, which then like it's just almost, makes it more and more powerful. You know, it's kind of like a tulpa, a thought form. It and is. Tulpa is it's, like a South American thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there are egregores is another example. And I believe that I forget which I, I want to say Judaism, but I could be wrong. And that's where you build your own devil kind of thing that's exactly what this is like fallen angels and stuff this is like easy bake oven and doodle (laughs) bear for satan i like this just very fun and then you just decide like what my satan gonna have yeah yeah exactly yeah it reminds me of like practical magic when she's like i'm gonna invent the the you know the man of my dreams and she's like you'll have one blue eye and one green eye like that's exactly yeah. it's like build your own but devil build a bear devil build a bear devil i love it mm. 
yeah, so that's basically what you do. Um, but obviously our uh, character is going to build some... Fucked up shit. Fucked up shit. Love it. Um, so... Now... Sorry. <laughs> I spoke ahead and so now I'm like all confused in my notes. Um, but, okay, so... Back to Adolfo. Um, he was only six months old whenever his mother, Delia, took him to his to her priest, um, which I'm going to refer to him as a palero because that's basically, like, people who practice in, in Palo um, are called either palero or palera, um, and those are just practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was just another palero, but... But he was a little bit higher ranking. There's right, lots of rankings here. Um, but she took him to this Polero, and this Polero, like, as soon as he saw this baby, was like, you're the chosen one. You're oh, him. Man. Yeah. And he, from then on, promised that he would now become this child's padrino, which means his godfather, and basically became his Palo teacher. Now, he taught him his own way of mayombe, not traditional mayombe. Traditional Palo mayombe practitioners did not believe in human sacrifice, but this padrino believed in human sacrifices and thought it was the highest kind of sacrifice. And most leaders um, and and Palo mayombe um, practitioners did not believe that it was right to be homosexual. Um... And this is due mostly to, uh, like, blood lineage and things like that. Um, they were really strict on this. And I... Obviously, a lot of bigotry plays in a lot of religions. And oh, so, yeah. you know, obviously there's that. But and I, and I'm, I'm not saying that there wasn't bigotry um, on that level at all. But I think a lot of it has to do with the production of life and their like usually does and and like the continuation of their oral tradition you know what i mean like usually that like in in this case that's usually the case as to why they they kind of frown on on gay people um but well and you have to keep in mind that long long time ago when these religions were come up with uh, there weren't as many people, and that be fruitful and multiply type of shit was actually important, or we weren't going yeah, to exist. Yeah, yeah, Like, whole yeah. tribes could be wiped out if we ain't having babies. Yeah, exactly. And then that means, if especially if you're an oral tradition culture, you're going to lose everything. Yes. Yes. Now, um, that being said, it's still dumb. Right, right, right. <laughs> I won't but, excuse, but, like, homophobia or anything like that for any absolutely. fucking reason. But We're there's cultural excuses. Re- yeah. We are giving reasons why. Yes, there are cultural reasons for for things, and we need to understand them to understand these cases. Right, absolutely. But obviously this Padrino did not care. He also was probably gay. Um, there are not very many sources that back this up, but I had the sneaky suspicion the entire time that, um, and, I, and it was confirmed in a few sources, that this Padrino was uh, assaulting Adolfo from a very young age. Oh, that sucks. Um, and I'm, I never got a clear answer as to what age, but, I mean, he was a minor the entire time, so we can guess. Um, so he wasn't gay, he was just a pedo. He may have been both. He may have been both. Because Adolfo ended up being gay. 
And that I know that doesn't correlate, no. but I know well, that adults will look up to um, don't usually choose gender of children depending like they just don't. Right. So, I don't know. I I have unpopular opinions about that that I won't get into. I'm not no. I don't condone it at all in any shape way, so I don't want to get misconstrued. Right. And I also don't want to talk about it. No, it's not a fun subject and I literally wrote nothing about it. Good. Um in my notes, but um I do just want to just say that these acts were done for ritual and I'm not excusing them. I'm just saying that that's why they were done. It wasn't like, um, it wasn't like something that happened all the time. And I know that doesn't excuse it. I'm just saying that that's, that's Adolfo's point of view. That's what they're used for. And that's why it's going to affect him differently than if it were like a, like a, an all the time thing. Um, Again, not excusing it. Obviously, it's one of the most heinous crimes that anybody could commit. I'm just saying that that that's what happened to Adolfo. It's at least the reason why this person uh, justified doing it. And maybe it helped Adolfo put it in some kind of context or space within his own head. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, this was a man that he looked up to. This was his teacher. This was his priest. This was, you know, his spiritual advisor. And so... I think it really muddied. I think it fucked him up. It fucked him up. Yeah. And I think it really allowed him to accept violence, um, which was literally bred into him. Yeah. Well, you're going to commit acts against people that can't consent. You've already, that is an act of violence within itself. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. There you go. And as Adolfo grew up, um, being labeled the chosen one, you know, basically since birth, it made him really weird as a teenager. Um, obviously for all the other reasons, like he's going through a lot of abuse and and a lot of other things under the day, like that people don't really know about, but like at school when he was around kids, his age, he was just weird. Like his nose was always up in the air, but nobody understood why, because he couldn't talk about it. He like, had too much arrogance and nothing to back it up with, according to the other kids. According to the other kids. So they made fun of him a lot and bullied him a lot. And, um, and I don't know, it just, it, it really triggered him later on. And boy, are we ever going to talk about as a world and or country or people, the, absolute shit show that is bullying as a child and how many people just completely fucks up. Right. God. Right. I don't understand it. I mean, I was there when I was a kid and I remember kids making fun of other kids and I remember trying to find the joke like in social situations and I'm like, just, it's not funny. Mm-mm. Well, I always say like, I don't understand why people punch down. Right. Like, why are you making fun of the poor kid or the fat kid or the black right. kid? Why aren't we making fun of the captain of the football team? It's more rewarding and delicious. So I always say, it's not funny if you're not punching up. Right. Always punch up and aim right. for the balls. But, yeah, he he just, like, he got really tired of being picked on at school, obviously. And so when he came home and, like, kind of talked to his mom, talked to the um, his padrino about it, they were like... You have to understand, these people are non-believers. And non-believers are animals. Um, and what do we do with animals? That's not a good thing to say. 
Yes. Yeah, you I ba- could see they why. They basically he- told them that everyone who was a non-believer, which is basically everyone around them, were basically, like, perfectly fine replacements for, like, chickens and their rituals. They're good sacrifice material. Like, like they're, they're, uh, they're below chickens. They're stepping stones. They're literally nothing. You yeah. can use them at will, and it's fucking nothing. Yeah, I think if, if you introduce violence and abuse and beliefs that someone may not have the complexity of thought to understand at that age and then you throw in being kind of socially awkward on top of it well it's not a good mix will right gonna lead mm-hmm. to some bad stuff mm-hmm. i'm gonna guess or we probably wouldn't be talking well when about. you're weak and vulnerable you're either going to find comfort in comfortable like in in soft comfortable nice loving situations because you're weak and vulnerable and somebody's protecting you um which is what normal people should be able to develop or you're like this and you develop coping mechanisms that harm everyone around you so that way you don't get harmed i get it so um, he actually like started showing like spiritual gifts at a very young age. Uh, growing up, his mother said that he started to show signs of ESP, um, astral projection, communicating with the dead. It was said that he even talked to Marilyn Monroe um, after she died, and she said that she had been murdered. Um, he also apparently like saw or uh, prophesied that Ronald Reagan, even before running for president, was going to be, uh, there was going to be an attempt uh, assassination on him and that he would live. Well, that is what happened. And look, just for the record, y'all, we're not telling you to believe in any of our woo stuff, but this is what they believed, and it's important in the context of this story. Absolutely. So don't come at me for liking woo. I'll just... Absolutely. And, I mean, you can come at me. Uh, I'm a witch. I mean, you can. Fuck it. But, like... Is that a good idea? <laughs> At the same time, you know, it's like I I know a lot of people that have predicted the future and had predictions come true, things like that. He's going to show time and time again that his predictions are true. But the thing is, is that he's not just sitting there going, hmm, you know what I think's going to happen? He's reading cards. He's doing divination. You know, he's doing yeah. like rune work and all kinds of things. So he's using tools. He's not just like saying this out of nowhere. Um, but that being said, like, we really got to talk about his living situation because it was pretty abnormal and it really backs up the rest of his future. His mother, Delia, um, Delia was pretty awful. She wasn't necessarily like violent or anything like that to him, but she was a criminal. She was actually arrested on a lot of different things like grand theft, writing bad checks, child neglect, shoplifting, um armed assault and trespassing. But each time she was um uh reprimanded or each time that they caught her on something, they she gave them a different name so she did a different alias for every single infraction <laughs> so she never had more than one charge smart she's very smart but she was disgusting like every house that she had was just just floor to ceiling covered in filth like we're talking like willy picked in level filth But she would move from apartment to apartment to apartment and just leave these ritual sites. 
Oh, yucky. Like, full of, like, like, chi- like decapitated chickens and cats and, like, lizards and whatever random animals she could find. Just dead animals fucking everywhere. Like, just filth and grime and muck. And it just, the smell permeated everything she owned. Everything smelled like death and decay. Can you imagine, like, being the apartment manager or whatever and having to clean up? Or, like, the next-door neighbor. Or the next-door neighbor. Oh, my God, what died in there? Yeah. She even, at one point, told Adolfo um, that that smell, that smell of death and decay was associated with their rituals, which gave their nganga power. So that smell of death and decay translated to power in his I was, mind. I was going to say, because, I mean, there's some occult activity that that applies to, right. for sure. Right, And especially the darker, nastier Well, and whenever stuff. you're literally putting, like, you're literally, like, tying demons to this plane using... Well, you ain't gonna attract him with, like, a Twinkie. It's gotta be some nasty shit. It's some nasty, nasty shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so, this whole entire, his whole living situation, his whole life is fucking gross. Now, in 1983, uh, the Padrino believed it was time for Adolfo to become his own Polero and, and then return becoming his own Padrino. So they had to do a ritual. Now, usually these rituals are extremely secretive, um, but I do know, just based on what his accounts were, what happened during his ritual. His ritual took place over several weeks. He ended up sleeping under a Saba tree, which was the tree of their sect, uh, for, for seven nights. Then he buried white clothing... Um, in a fresh grave for three weeks. Really let those white clothes like simmer in the death and decay of that body's decomposition process. Yeah. And then he would dig up the dig up the clothes and wear them and walk around town smelling like death and decay. That is terrifying. And basically flaunting himself and too. And metal as fuck. I know, right? Fine. <laughs> um, and then he were to give himself... Or then he, or sorry, then he were to give thanks to um, this entity that's called Kadiempe. K. I said it perfectly before I left the house. Yeah. Kadiempe. Uh, which is the Apollo's version of the devil. So they give thanks to the devil. Then the ritual began. He was blindfolded. His padrino asked him if he was ready to give his soul. Um, are ready for his soul to die, in which he replied, my soul is dead, I have no God. And then he brushed him with branches of the Seba tree, and the padrino took a live chicken, slit its throat over Adolfo's head, and covered him in blood. Then the padrino took a knife, covered it in gunpowder, stuck the knife into a fire, and made a little explosion, a little pew. And then he took that <laughs> knife, and once it was hot, and he carved his sigil into Adolfo's shoulder. Man, that's some dedication. And that's 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 kind of like the branding for Paulo Mayombe is like yeah. once you have the ritual, you have that burn mark and every single member ended up will end up having that burn mark. Um 
And so then he removed his blindfold and he was rewarded a polished tibia bone. And from Yay. now on, he was a Palo Meombe padrino. And he could take on his own apprentices and create his own nganga. Now, a lot of these cultures, um, like Haitian voodoo, um, uh, Palo Meombe, a lot of um, different religions like this or different practices like this, they really hold on to the wearing of white. Um, yes. it is, it is a huge deal in a lot of, um, in a lot of different practices. And so he really wore a lot of white for that reason as well. But he's a fabulous gay man in the eighties. Um, right now he's in, he's in Miami and about to move to Mexico city. So he looks fantastic. He's like wearing all white. He's flashy about it. He's got the big fur, you know, oh, like yeah. the 80s, like cocaine hairdo. Like he just looks fantastic. And he's I want going a to. Hairdo. I know. <laughs> I had one whenever I was growing up. My bangs it was awful. Um, but he really lived up the Miami nightlife there for a bit before he moved to Mexico City to really start his practice. Um, but, yeah, if, if he would have just, like, stopped at a certain point, his life would have been fabulous. He looked fabulous. He was actually a really pretty boy and um, dressed really cute. So, I don't know. I really liked his his starting out was pretty cool. But um, It's all going to go downhill. It's all about to. So, he moves to Mexico City and... Then he picks up his life on his own and he's finally able to not live with his mother anymore. So he's finally able to have a clean environment. And so he's like the exact opposite now. So he's immaculate. He's immaculate. Everything is perfect. Everything is like swanky. And he has one room for his inganga and, and that's the only dirty place. And this is where he starts his practice. This is where it all starts. He moves to Mexico City, and he starts giving psychic readings um, and giving people predictions. But as these predictions become true, one after the other, he starts offering his dark magic as basically help with their predictions. Like, oh, I saw something bad. You might want some help with that. Yeah, woo, you're going to get hit by a bus. Yes. But I can help you there. Mm -hmm. And so with these new add-ons to it, he'd be like having like little packages, package deals, right? That's smart. Mm -hmm. And so with these like little add-ons, you know, he'd add more money and more money. So starting out, it was very low key, but at the end, oh, he built it up really, really high. He built an entire empire off of this. So um one of his first customers was a man by the name of omar orea and this would end up being one of his first maybe if not his very first follower omar was um only 14 years old whenever he went to a fortune teller and they told omar that he would meet this powerful man that would change his life and determine his destiny and that he should be ready and beware and in 1983, him and his friend Jorge Montes, who was a local psychic, who also went by the name of, Do of Dr. Hindu, <laughs> which I thought was funny, I love it. Um, they found out that there was a new magician in town, excuse me, and that um, 
And that not only was he a magician like them, but he was also gay like them. So they were like, oh my God, let's go see. So they go down to his store and they find him and they ask for a reading. And as soon as Adolfo saw Omar, he said that it was time for him to fulfill his prophecy. He just looked at him and was like, dang, it's your time. He was like, there was an old woman that told you to be ready and beware. And don't worry. You're safe. You're safe with me. You didn't beware, though, did you? No, you didn't. <laughs> um. <laughs> you know, somebody's like, so you were told to beware, but it's fine. I'm going to be like, is it? See, is if, it, though? If it was, if it was fine, um, I wouldn't have told you. I wouldn't have warned you. Uh-uh. If it was going to be okay, I would have just let it, left it to surprise. Be okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but from then on, Omar was like hooked, like hooked on Adolfo. Um, Jorge, uh, the Dr. Hindu guy, um, he was a believer as well. So he ended up like being one of the followers, like adjacent kind of, Mm -hmm. since he was already a psychic, he kind of knew all the people in the magic communities in the area. And so he, um, recruited followers and things like that. But Omar and Adolfo became lovers and Adolfo, Adolfo already had a lover at this time, which was his bodyguard, which I just think that's so hot. Um, You're ridiculous. (laughs) His bodyguard, uh, Martin Rodriguez. Um, But he wanted them both. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to have you both. Omar is my girlfriend, and Martin is my boyfriend, and I'm going to switch their roles anytime I want. Well, all right. <laughs> you know, I get the desire to sometimes have two husbands. Yes. But then everyone's a disappointment. Or a husband and a wife and, like, I don't know, some changelings. I really want, well, the only reason I want another husband is so I can make them be brother husbands, because that's silly. But Maris would kill them in a jealous rage, yeah. so it's fine. I want a work husband who just makes me money. This was kind of like that. They were both work husbands, but um, Adolfo was extremely abusive. <laughs> Not a shock. <laughs> yeah. Not a like, he made them wear, like, these cutesy little dresses and clean, like, constantly. And if they weren't cleaning or if they did something wrong or if they, you know, like asked why instead of just did something like if it was the smallest infraction Adolfo would just beat the shit out of them oh what a piece of shit yes um now Adolfo ended up setting up a shop in Zona Rosa which is an area of Mexico City where there was like this really big gay scene there and a really big nightlife and so he gained like a whole bunch of followers that way and as his followers grew and his customers grew so does his prices so does his his sessions his sessions ended up being like thousands of dollars at this point yeah i can see it um with each new client um like they would just like tell more of their friends and one came to him he was a real estate broker in san francisco um he came to him and said that he was super poor that you know his real estate game was just you know on the rocks and he needed help um but he couldn't pay for his advice so adolfo said that um he would not pay for his advice take whatever money he had what little money he had go buy this one plot of land 
very, very small plot of land. And um, right after he did that, in 1985, there was a hearth- an earthquake that devastated the entire city. The government ended up buying that plot of land from the man uh, for a huge sum of money, like oh, a million yeah. something dollars. And at that moment, he became a firm believer. You would. And Adolfo. And from there, um, he utilized that guy as a hookup. Um, he ended up helping him acquire a whole bunch of houses and rental properties and apartments all over Mexico City. Another account was a drag queen named Damiana, which, oh my God, please be my best friend. I love that. Um, Damiana told her, told him that she was upset. She said that a club owner had not paid her what she was promised. And when she confronted him about it and demanded her money, she was severely beaten and she wanted his beating to be returned to him tenfold. Like you do. Like you do. So she paid Adolfo, Five hundred dollars for the ritual, and then he took a chicken, decapitated it, stuffed the de- sorry, he stuffed the decapitized head into a doll. Then he buried that doll into a fresh grave. Then he took the chicken corpse and put it on a um, on the club owner's doorstep, and left letters written in blood. I wouldn't like to find that. A month later, the club owner was found dead of a sudden heart attack, and Damiano was now a follower. In 1985, it was time for him to make his own inganga because his previous inganga was made with his padrino. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted his own. And he wanted this made completely by him. And he wanted to start his inganga with human remains. Like you do. Like you do. So he and some of his followers went to a graveyard and dug up a fresh body. He stole the skull, tibia, toes, fingers, and ribs, believing that these parts would be uh, or would help the spirit in the Ngaga, be intelligent and be able to walk and grip things. I don't like that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not cool with the gripping grip stuff. Grip it. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can't see, but I'm doing booty grab motions. Yeah, well, <laughs> grip and it. you know there's, you know, I'm fucked up, right? Y'all yeah. listening know I'm fucked up. But I just thought, ooh, is this, is this spirit horny? Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you're gonna need your own your own inganga for this. That's okay, it's a close practice. <laughs> yeah. So um he made sure to choose a person who lived and died very violently in order to create the most powerful inganga for evil. <laughs> evil. It, it literally says I put in quotations or uh <laughs> asterisk cute evil queen laugh, and you did it. Perfectly. I'm oh, so proud of you. I did it. You did it by the script. Yeah, I call it my evil anime girl laugh. <laughs> I love it. Well, That's evil good. queen laugh too. I'm not feeling queenly today. Well, you're looking it. Oh, I'm just wearing sweatpants. <laughs> but I appreciate the compliment, Willow. If you hear me moving around, uh, it's because I am. Because the cold weather affects me arthritis. <laughs> She's got to move her bones a lot around I a little bit. I got to move me bones. Stir the bones. Stir him up. All right, we're good. Okay, so he did a ritual to transfer the spirit from the skull of the body that he had stolen to the Nganga. And in doing so, the spirit had to travel through his body 
and into the Nganga. And while this was happening, while the spirit was traveling through his body, it's said that his face turned bright red, his body contorted violently, and then his body stiffened. He clenched his hands so hard that his nails started bleeding, and Omar asked the spirit, do you agree to work for El Padrino, to live in the Nganga and serve him as your master? And out of Adolfo's body came a heavily, heavily breathing demonic whisper that said, Yes, I will serve you. Hot. I know, right? <laughs> mm, serve me. <laughs> Do it. And then Adolfo came out of his trance, and from there they built the layers of the Nganga inside an iron cauldron. Traditionally, there's three layers, and it's through several rituals. Um, using coins for payment, bones, and dirt from the grave, a roasted turtle, a goat head, spices, railroad spikes, deer antlers, scorpions, a boiled black cat, a coconut and coconut shells, and then covered it all with chicken's blood. That is not a good soup, and I would not eat it. It'd be so stemky. Then they put up to 28 sticks in the center to communicate with the spirit. In order to convince the spirit to work for him, he'd have to offer it money, blood, or sacrifices. Seems about right. Now, traditionally speaking, Paulo practitioners believe that spirits have all the power, but Adolfo believed that he had all the power and that the spirits were just for him to use whenever he wanted. What a hubris. Mm-hmm. So the next day, he gave Nganga rum, cigar smoke, and grabbed a tibia bone and an antler to interact with the spirits and kind of moved things around. And it gave him, and he gave it his first assignment which was to protect the cult, make them rich, and bring more followers. Within a year, he had, brought an upscale, uh, he had bought an upscale apartment downtown, and the clients and followers just kept rolling in. And now, um, now that he was in an upscale neighborhood, he started attracting upscale clients, one of which was an apparently washed-up singer named Oscar Anthony who hadn't had a hit in three years. He couldn't afford um, the several thousand dollar fee. And so Adolfo offered him a cleaning ritual for free if, if Oscar brought him some more clients. And it worked. Oscar, um, his career ended up taking back off and Adolfo gained wealthier and wealthier clients because of him. And... Um, the more rich or the more powerful the ritual these very high clientele wanted, the more rare the animal sacrifices would be for them. Sure. Um, he had everything from a rooster that was six dollars, goats for thirty, a boa constructor uh, is four fifty, a zebra Fuck. for eleven hundred, and a lion cub for thirty one hundred dollars. Oh, stop it. Now, um, now that he started to introduce these exotic animals, these higher up clientele, um, these oh, are people, really a spectacle these now. are people like actors and writers and, um, like celebrities and shit. Now he starts to even go higher in the food chain and he, his new clientele begins to be drug dealers needing well, protection. This is where it's going to get fucked. This is where the turning Dude, point is. Dude, you had is. a good thing going. You should have right? stayed with, like, the Botox ladies. 
Right. And I like, know. Get a poodle get and a like poodle. a really big fur coat right. and a pool with some, you know, cabana boy. I don't mm-hmm. know. And some cha-cha heels. Mm. Like you fuck this all yes. up. Yes. Listen to us. Adolfo, we'll I take am you disappointed places. to you. I know. I know. Also, quit killing all the animals. Oh, he does. Oh, it's people now. Yeah, it's people now. Um, so, <laughs> soon he had high influential people in the drug world as clientele as well, and they started paying really, really big money, and they really liked the violence. Yeah. So it just really fed his ego. Um, and they really needed him for protection, advice, and predictions. He would tell them when the best times to transport certain large shipments, um, and so they wouldn't get seized by, uh, the patrol agents. Some of these shipments were worth, like, millions and millions of dollars, and so he was like, well, if you lose those millions and millions of dollars to the patrol agents, like, you're not gonna see that. You know, if I help you out... That's millions and millions of dollars that you didn't lose. It's not going to hurt you to just give me a little more. You better. And so with each one, he would just add, you know, a few more thousand on there and he would get more and more money from it. Well, as they always say, more money, more problems, Willow. That's right. And actually a bitch wasn't one. No, a bitch was not one. No. One drug trafficker uh, reportedly spent $40,000 over three years for protection services alone. Dang. He started turning influential people into padrinos as well, and so he was rising higher and higher and higher in power. And rank, yeah. And rank, um, while simultaneously hiring his wages. And this just fed him, and he just wanted more. Um, he began... Yeah, I feel like these people don't know when to f- fucking stop. They never like, do. They're like, I'm calling it. I'm good. It's like when I, I had a friend I would go to the casino with. I don't gamble. Let's just make that clear. Same. Because it makes me cry. Um, but she would win like $1,000 and I'm like, oh, bitch, let's go home. She would stay there till she like spent more money than she came in with. Right. Like she would spend it all. And I'm just like, and like... Her rent money and like everything, and I was like, "Oh, you stop when you're ahead." Yeah, this is what this guy does the entire time. He just pushes the envelope the entire time. So now he starts providing magical service to corrupt federal agents as well. Ooh, so he no, starts no. working both sides, but it helps him. It helps him not only with his um, like clientele, but it helps him with his predictions too. Yeah. Cause now he'll really, now know. he really knows. Yeah. So it also makes me question a lot of his predictions as well. Right. He just um, sounds really clever and intuitive. Yes. Which, I mean, that's a good witch. Um, so one agent, uh, was a man by the name of Salvador Alcaron. Uh, he worked at the border of Matamoros and, um, a place called Brownsville, Texas. Now, I'll add this to the pictures. There's literally one bridge, and it's a very small bridge, connecting Matamoros with Brownsville, Texas. I've seen it. It's, I had no idea that there's so little border patrol. I've seen it in person. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, this is where it all takes place. One time I almost went to Mexico, and I didn't. And that's good because it probably would be dead. It was yeah. a very long story, and I won't tell it. But yeah. I've had adventures. This is this is definitely the place in te- in Mexico that you do not go. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, you've been there. <laughs> almost. Um, yeah, almost. So um, 
And and in Matamoros, there is a huge drug market there as well. It's like a big party town. Yeah, that's why I was going. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a huge party town. Yeah. Um, so Salvador was this really big, scary guy. He had these big, deep scars that ran vertical down his face. And it gave the illusion that he had three separate faces. Wow. Now, he believed that each one of these three separate faces possessed three different sp- or a different spirit per face. Um and when uh one was a murderer, one was a warrior, and one was an African witch. And when he met Adolfo, before he said anything, Adolfo went up to him and gave him the name of the three spirits that he That's saw in his crazy. face. Isn't that fucking crazy? It's fucking By crazy. name. It's nuts. I love it. And Salvador instantly became a, a believer. Salvador was there basically till the very end. Um, and, and his inside cop man, like, and basically became his inside cop man to let him know, like, when the best times for trafficking and smuggling drugs were and everything like that. So, yeah, he was basically his eyes and ears and his guns because, like, not only did that motherfucker have, like, actual ammunition, but he had, like, some severe, like, guns like, like muscles muscles he was a big beefy dude beefy dude he um, sounds terrifying he does no he really does <laughs> so at this point this is when he meets the calzada family um the calzada family were um like a another one of the drug families in the area and he had heard of this family uh, the head of this family, sorry, was a man by the name of Guillermo Calzada. And um, and basically, Adolfo wanted to become friends with this drug-dealing family. He had heard about them through Salvador, and he wanted to become friends with them, um, not only for like their drug smuggling and everything like that, but he wanted basically <sighs> their name. You know what I mean? He wanted their clout. He wanted to utilize them um, for the people that they knew and things like that. So he wanted to get close to them. And he found Guillermo, the head of the family. But Guillermo was really suspicious of this guy at first. He was like, ooh, I don't know about witches. Like, mm, that's kind of weird to me. So Adolfo convinced him with a small cleaning ritual um, and ended up actually earning his trust. And from then on... Um, Guillermo became like basically his insight for the drug trafficking market. And the more money that he made this like very influential crime family, the more that Adolfo thought that he deserved more credit because him and Guillermo were working so much that Guillermo's like Guillermo's family was profiting heavily, heavily off of Adolfo's predictions and things like that. And so one day he was like, yo, like, I deserve more than just a small little cut. Where are my dollars at? Where are my dollars at? I deserve 50-50. Oh, no, you're asking for too much. Yes, and Guillermo was like, no. Um, And so Adolfo obviously got really pissed off about this. I bet he don't like being told no. He does not like being told no. And he also, the vibe of it was more of like, like, ha-ha, no. As in, like, he kind of felt like he was being bullied, Oh, you know, like, yeah, oh, yeah, you like silly a, little shit. No, uh-uh. You're just my magic friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silly little yeah. wizard. So he got really pissed off about this, but 
Um, and it made him extremely violent and very vengeful, but he didn't quite act yet. Um, before then, I think what he was trying to do, it doesn't say specifically, but I think what he was trying to do, um, because he continues this pattern later on, is that I'm pretty sure he's just trying to feed his Nganga so that way his Nganga can grow, so that way he can be more powerful when he yes. does finally seek his revenge. Because he does this, like, weird-ass detour in his kind of plan of, like, order of operation. And in 1987, he gets, him and his followers get, like, these DEA outfits, and they storm in this dentist's office, and they raid this dentist who happens to be a drug dealer, they beat the shit out of him, like beat him to an, like an inch of his life and then take all of his drugs. Like you do. Like you do. And, um, and yeah, it was just like a weird ass blip, but I just thought it was so funny that they dressed as DEA agents and like beat the shit out of a dentist, like the most non-assuming person that there is. <laughs> um, but Adolfo wanted revenge on Guillermo, so one day he went to him and told him that another, another rival magician had cursed him had made him bring up the 50-50 uh, agreement um, and basically was like, I didn't do that. That was some curse. That's not me. That's silly. And he begged for him for forgiveness. He offered to do a free cleansing for him and his whole family as payment for his forgiveness. So Omar gathered up his entire family, his wife, his mother, his bodyguard, his business partner, um, his maid, his secretary, and Adolfo put them in a circle. And then he began chanting. I don't like where this is going. Then he ended up yelling. Uh-oh, he yelled. Yelling about his enemies and pointing at all of the family members. And then as he raised his machete, Omar and Martin busted in through the door with, with submachine guns, and within second, the Cazada family was dead. The entire family was off. Then they cleaned up the crime scene. They cleaned up the crime scene so good that when police came to investigate, they thought that basically the family had just vanished. There was no sign of foul play, not even one speck out of place. Dang. Dang. That's some creepy shit. Can you imagine, though, like, you shot up an entire household with, like, fucking machine guns they went in there and they cleaned that shit up they like caulked the walls and shit and well, like got followers they repainted got and they, oh yeah, yeah he's got tons of followers so yeah um and the cops did not know it was them they went you know un unnoticed and it gave them this sense of like invisibility oh, you know invincibility i think you mean both yes. yeah, both. yeah 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 like they're invisible and because of that they're invincible that's for sure. not good for that fucking no, guy. No, no. Um, a week later, mutilated bodies began to wash up on the shore of a nearby river. Toes, ears, and fingers were cut off. Rolled up $20 bills were shoved into the hands where the fingers had been. They had been bludgeoned, wow. castrated. Their chests were ripped open. Hearts were taken out, and their throats were slit. The secretary's throat was slit so deep she was nearly decapitated. One body was missing the spinal column. Brains Ooh. of the two missing of two missing sorry, brains of two of the bodies were missing. All of um all all of the body parts that were taken were fed to Aldafo's gongas and it, this was their first taste taste of live flesh. Yikes. So now the nganga has had live flesh. So he can't stop. So he can't go back to grave robbing. 
No. It has to continuously have live flesh from now on. I don't think he's going to have a problem with that, like morally speaking or no. anything. No. And yeah, the police never suspected them once. Adolfo's new cop friend, Salvador, told him about another crime family that they that could help him, the Hernandez family. And in Matamor- they lived in Matamoros. Um, he, but he needed, like, a lead in. Like, he needed a way into this family. He couldn't just, like, obviously, like, walk up to them. You're like, yeah, what's up? Then he heard about a woman named Sarah Aldrate. Aldrate. Um, Sarah was connected to the family because she dated one of the brothers, a man named Elio. Now, Sarah was from Matamoros, and she went, but she went to school across the bridge in Brownville, Texas. Um, she went to college there, and she was this beautiful woman. She was about six and some odd inches tall. She was just gorgeous, big hair, beautiful woman. And um, she met Adolfo in 1987 in a very strange way. She was driving with her sister, and Adolfo stopped in the middle of an intersection, cutting her off and causing her to stop her car. When she stopped her car, he got out. He walked up to her car, leaned against her car, and looking, (laughs) says looking suave as fuck, um, said to her that she had to be with him. Stopped traffic in the middle of the street. Stopped everything. Got out of his car and said, you, you're mine now. And she was like, okay. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) Golly, I just kept going. (laughs) She couldn't. His car was there. She couldn't move. Oh, I'll hit the car. (laughs) I'll sandwich you between my car and your car. (laughs) So... From then on, like, she was just basically smitten. He was really pretty, so she liked him. Um, and at first, in their relationship, he lied and told her that she, he was an undercover cop. Um, but he slowly, like, started to seed information about his powers and kind of let her, like, until he knew that he could trust her. Um, now, at this time, she actually had a boyfriend. Um, but Adolfo was like, yeah, no, that's 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 going to end soon. And it did. Um and she even made mention that when and I thought this was very odd, it had nothing to do with anything, but she made mention that when they went jogging together, like they would do all kinds of activities together, but when they went jogging together, he never showed any sign of like being exhausted, rapid heartbeat, um, no sweating. That he is was weird. never he was never tired, which was very strange. Is he on a bunch of meth? I don't know. Uh, well, cocaine maybe, but. Still, all that stuff makes you sweat. I don't know. Um, But at one point, he made three predictions to her. One, that she would get money to pay for her school. Two, that an old friend would call her. And three, that an old boyfriend would come to meet her or would call her for help and say that he needed her. Now, the first two came true the next day. She called him and he ended up telling her everything. It was basically like, Oh, well, you got to know that I'm actually, like, La Padrino. Like, I'm, like, the head of this fucking crazy-ass cult. And basically told her that he was, like, super fucking powerful. And, um... And basically just manipulated her into becoming a follower, like, instantly. And... Um... So she went to school, 
and not much and like she went to school and at night she would be practicing magic so he was actually teaching her and there's a lot of like weird things about women practicing in this um oh i figured you know and so only men can rise up to certain levels and things like that so yeah she started practicing magic with him but at some point her involvement gets really muddied and then at the end it's kind of like ooh did she have anything to do with anything or no. was she literally just a pawn to get into this family i'm going to go with yeah the latter exactly um which they ended up like they ended up having like somewhat of a relationship they had sex a few times but he ended up saying and i think it was probably behind her back that she when he kissed her it was more like a sister than anything because he's gay Uh um but yeah she instantly became like one of his you know most sought after followers and and kept all of his secrets and just really became obsessed with her um and Adolfo kind of became obsessed with her for a little bit too because he found out that she had the same birthday as his mother he has a really weird relationship with his mother so yeah she was instantly um kind of made like more of an official member uh, because of those things and he decided that she was more special than the rest of the followers he ended up controlling her every move everything she did everywhere she went anybody she talked to um it was all up to him and eventually her ex-boyfriend called as predicted yeah elio needed help and just like he said she would turn to Adolfo, or she would give him to Adolfo. Yeah. And that's basically what he wanted the entire time. He wanted Elio, he wanted that family, mm-hmm. and now he's in. And Elio calls him up and he says, Hey, my brother Saul, uh, who was head of the crime family, he just died. He was just murdered. So now this entire like crime organization this whole entire like drug trafficking ring is on my shoulders and i don't know what to do oh could you help me sure can (laughs) he's like dang i didn't murder your brother and steal your ex-girlfriend no i'm your friend (laughs) (laughs) so elio ends up becoming like one of his right hand men um, but he wanted Elio to trust and believe in him, so he decided to make Sarah uh, a very high rank. And so he performed this ritual with Sarah and fed her soul to the devil and made her la madrina, or the godmother. He covered her in liquor and animal blood and carved his sigil into her shoulder and declared her soul was dead and that she was now one of them. That is so hard. Her job was to convince Elio to join. When he did join, they uh, went out to burgers and fries, which you'll see at the end of every single sacrifice they got for burgers and fries afterwards, and it's Hell so yeah, crazy. Hell yeah, we get the munchies! <laughs> um, and then they worked out a deal. Adolfo suggested the 50-50 split, and Elio agreed instantly. Adolfo would then um, char- be in charge of all the magical protections and elio would be in charge of recruiting fellow members and this is where the cult really hit off um and usually the the recruits that elio uh brought in they were all like very violent offenders they were all drug dealers and crazy yeah so um 
One of the new members was Mario Torres, also known as El Gato. Um, that means the cat. I know. And uh, he was called El Gato the Cat uh, because he was supposedly very clever. Another new member was little, uh, little Seraphine Hernandez, um, which he also went by El Chaparro, which uh, roughly translated to the little chubby man. <laughs> And I like him. I mean, he's a very terrible person, but I like him. God. <laughs> a little chubby man. And I'm sorry if you heard random noises. A giant spider was crawling up my leg. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. But I'm, I don't know. I don't have balls, but if I did, they'd be huge. Because I didn't even scream. You didn't. You did get it. It was probably and just a wolf spider. And I didn't squish it. I, no, it was a wolf spider. I gathered it in my hand, and I flung it somewhere the fuck over there. I was looking down. I didn't even see that. Yeah. Oh, well, it was here. quick. It was like, whoop. I don't want to hurt it. I love them. Yeah, I just, uh, don't be on me. It's no. kind of my cardinal rule. Yeah, don't touch me. But yeah, as he... Um, grew new members, he would teach them all how to do these rituals. And as he taught them these rituals, they became part of their inner, his inner circle because they couldn't leave because now they have information. Well, yeah, and you sold your soul to the devil, yep. so there's that. So in May 1988, Adolfo got a tip saying that a shipment of weed was coming to the ranch, to a ranch close by. So he hijacked the shipment and tied up uh, the two men in the truck um, and asked them if they were Christians. When they said yes, Adolfo said that Christians were like animals and asked his followers, what do we do with animals? Oh, no. He smiled and shot them point blank, and then he said, we sacrifice animals. Then he ordered his followers to bury the bodies, and they did, and in doing so, they passed his first test. He promised them they'd kill again. They kidnapped um, a rival drug dealer, uh, not very long after this, they kidnapped a rival drug dealer hanging out outside of a local eatery. Um, Alvaro, also known as El Duby, which I think is funny, um, he got nervous uh, during the struggle and he shot him before he could perform the ritual. And Adolfo got super mad about this and decided that they needed an innocent victim this time instead of a crazy drug dealer. Uh-oh. So this time, they found a man by the name of Raymond Esquivel, and he was an antiques dealer. He was also a drag queen named La Claudia, and in the telling of this this part of the story, a lot of people keep with the drag name La Claudia, so I'm going to go with Claudia and use she, her pronouns for this. All right, you um, do it. Because I just feel like that's what this person would want. Um but she had actually dated Dr. Hindu, uh, who we previously talked about. Um, she had actually dated Dr. Hindu, and she was still his roommate. But Adolfo never really liked her for some reason, so they went to a, her apartment um, as Sarah prepared for the ritual. And they all came inside as soon as Sarah was done preparing. They all came inside her apartment and attacked her, shoving her into the bathtub, which was already plugged, oh. ready to collect her blood. Jeez. This is when he had his followers hold her down while he cut one by one her fingers, toes, and then her penis. All while she was still alive and screaming. Then, one by one, they took turns skinning her alive, cutting and ripping, and oh. then sliced her throat, and then she was dead. Good gravy. 
They collected her blood and and her severed body and severed her body parts, and collected her shin bone and her brain. Then they used her remains to create another nganga. This one was started with fresh and violent bloodshed. This new nganga, for now on, needed only fresh bloodshed for every witch ritual, justifying the future murders that were about to take place. There's probably a bunch of them. Yes. Sorry, this episode is going to be very long, but I think it's very important to talk about each one of them um, because you'll see. So he hid his new Nganga in a shed at Ranchero Santa Elena in Montemoros. And this is where he would set up a cocaine drug deal with dealers in Texas, saying that he'd sell them cocaine for $1 million. But he planned on killing them at the handoff. But this... At this point, his crew got really sloppy, and they ended up actually, the people that they were trying to kidnap ended up kidnapping one of their men instead. Um, It was Elio's brother, Ovidio. Now, Adolfo told them not to worry, that that he had their back, and that all they needed to do was a little bit more magic, and that they'd get Ovidio back. They needed one. They needed a new victim uh, to sacrifice in exchange. So Elio was ordered to find one. <coughs> Excuse me. He found a hitchhiker and picked him up and brought him to Adolfo. Adolfo then tied him up and began cutting off of his fingers and toes. <coughs> Excuse me. Each one ordering protection for Ovidio, and. Then he took a swig of rum, he spit it in the victim's face, and spit it into the nganga, and then ritualistically um, assaulted the boy. And then whenever he was done, he took a machete and sliced off the top of his skull, killing him instantly. He brought in his followers and ordered them one by one to mutilate the body of the boy. And Adolfo cut out his brains, Elio cut out his heart, and then the others followed suit and started to cut off pieces of the corpse and put it in the nganga. Adolfo told them that the more they cut from, from the, the corpse, the less fear that they would have. And it worked. Because at first they were really, really nervous about this. They didn't really want to do this. Well, no. But the more they stabbed and the more the body became mutilated and looked less like a human, uh, the more comfortable and the more desensitized they became. And this yeah. really set them off for their killing patterns. And... Um, it was even said that they buried the remains with a, um, with a metal wire sticking up out of the ground connected to the spinal column. So that way, once it was fully decomposed, they could rip out that spinal column. And it was said that this one in particular, um, Adolfo took the vertebrae and made it into a necklace for protection. Um... Now, and after this, um, like immediately after this, Ovidio was released the very next day with no questions. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. One member, Valiente Gomez, was a drug dealer who um, ended up getting caught using their supplies. So during the next ritual, everybody thought that they were just going to sacrifice like a chicken and a cat and just do like a normal ritual. But Adolfo announced that they were that there was a traitor amongst them and that one of them had stolen drugs. Valiente took a step back and everyone realized it was him. Adolfo walked up to him and listing his crimes as he walked slowly, he looked at him and in his eyes said, it's you. 
Then he took the blunt end of his machete and shattered Valente's jaw. Then he turned to the rest of the group and said that Valente, Valente had offended the gods and therefore he needed to die. And this time they would all take part and if they didn't, they would die too. And they all took turns beating him until Adolfo ended up uh, er, ended the, the ritual with a hammer to his skull and actually the hammer got caught inside of it. And Ew. yeah, quite a struggle getting it out. So at this point, this was basically just a test and an example of like what happens when you're disobedient. Yeah, bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Now that the followers were completely dedicated and they felt absolutely invincible because they never got caught and everything they did always worked out, um, they murdered at least seven people over the next month. And um, soon after this, uh, a small-time drug dealer named Ezekiel Rodriguez told him, told them that the gang had an offer for him of over 1,700 pounds for only $400,000, which is petty change. And so the smuggler came up to meet Adolfo um, in 1989 to present this weed to him. And Adolfo was like, um, this is gross. Like, this weed is bonk as fuck. Some skunky shit. Yeah. And uh, this is 1989 weed. I don't want this trash. So. Yeah, it's like people don't understand. Like, (laughs) weed today will make you, like, time travel and hallucinate. But back when I was smoking weed in high school, that shit was not the same shit. No. No, no, it was bullshit. This is brick weed. Yeah, it's brick weed. And so Ezekiel got super offended at Adolfo and got really mad and started yelling. And when Adolfo's members saw Ezekiel yelling, they were like, oh, this guy got to go. So they considered this an attack. And so they tied him up. They took him to the shed. And they... You don't want to go to the shed. Nope. And one by one, he started losing fingers. And even a nipple. Until uh, he finally confessed and told them where the rest of the weed was. And eventually they took, he took them to the ranch that was close by. And once they had all the weed, Adolfo ordered all of the members of, the, of, of his ranch to dig a huge grave. And then he killed Ezekiel and all the co-workers at their ranch. Damn. And like just all of them, and uh, put them all in this mass grave and fed their genitals and their hearts to the Nganga. Nine days later, they needed another victim. Y'all, calm down. It's seriously one after the other with this Have crew. Have a moon pie. Um, this time, this one's really rough though, um, and worth mentioning because this time Elio was the one that needed to sac- to be the one to sacrifice someone and. When he tried to go find someone to sacrifice, he ended up getting nervous just like the one before him and shooting the guy before getting to the ritual. And so Adolfo was super pissed again, and so he sent out other members to go out and get a new victim. This time, they had picked a boy off the street and put a bag over his head and brought him into the shed. All the while, Adolfo was beating the out of Elio and basically telling him like you better man up you better do it this time and so he gets them all raged up they go into the shed he takes the um the hood off off of the off of the boy and instead of just um 
like their tradition was to top the top of the skull off so that way it was easier access to the brain um instead of doing that with the machete he ended up slipping and accidentally decapitating it completely and when the head rolled on the floor he realized that was his cousin oh his cousin was only 14 years old his name was jose luna that sucks and i mean this broke elio it broke him completely. And so while the rest of the ritual was happening, you know, they were dismembering him and mutilating the corpse and all of this. Elio was just like freaking the fuck out. And so Adolfo was like, hey, you know what would help? So if you cut the heart out. So he did. That is some cold shit. And then he felt better. Which I don't get that part, but whatever. It's just completely desensitizing and dehumanizing. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's like yeah. over stimulating to the point of desensitizing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and so he was because of that. You know, Elio was a ride or die, and um, and because of the fact that no cops or law enforcement came after Jose, or even looked for him. They thought they had gotten away with it again. I mean, they've killed like 30 people at they, least. And they continue. Know, they continue yeah. killing drug dealers in the same fashion. Um, skinning them, raping them, beating them, dismembering them, feeding them, and feeding all their body parts to the Nganga. Um, but this is when he's like, okay... He finally finds one that, like, doesn't scream. He, he gets this drug dealer, and he does everything to him. He does everything. He tortures the fuck out of this guy. He even... Oh, my God. It's, it's so crazy. But the man doesn't scream. The man doesn't budge. And this pisses him off so much that he's like, you know what? I need screams. I need agony. Good Lord, Adolfo. I need an American. As we as we say in the business, <laughs> now you fucked up. Now, now you, you fucked, fucked up. up. You have fucked up you now. You fucked up, boy. Oh, so listen, now you can kill all the brown people you want, but you kill one. You angle. kill one gringo. You are down, buddy. <laughs> like why and this, racism? Yeah, and this yeah. is this is it. This and the, the thing about yeah. this case, the reason why I wanted to tell it the way I did was because when you look up this case, it says the American victim's name, and it's it, it's the case of him. That's it. And That's he's so one infuriating. Victim. He's one victim. And I'm not, like, belittling him in no, any way. No, he's still... All these people, like, though, had people all these that people loved met, That 14-year-old boy did not have to die. You no. know what I mean? Like, none of these people had to die. And, and neither did this guy. just because somebody's a fucking drug dealer doesn't mean they deserve to be tortured and mutilated. Yes. Yes. Let's just be clear on a that thousand shit. percent. Even if someone's a giant piece of turd. They don't deserve Even that. this motherfucker who rapes and skins people alive and then fucking mutilates them does not deserve to be. Exactly. And that's really hard for people to understand. And, and frequently I get people on my ass about it. They have very eye for an eye. But I'm like, we're not animals, y'all. Right. Right. <sighs> Let's hear about this guy. Okay. Well, yeah. He, now he's out shopping for what he calls... Uh, a soft gringo. <laughs> Someone who would scream. So, the um, like I said, there's that bridge that's separating Brownsville, Texas, and Matamores. Yes. And this happens to be spring break. 
of this year. So people are everywhere. And the drinking age in Mexico, at least at this time, is 18. And so a lot of college people are going to go back and forth drinking in Matamoros and then going back back home. Mm -hmm. And so this is exactly what he was doing. Um, It was a man by the name of Mark Kilroy, and he was a Texas college student. And he was there celebrating spring break with all of his friends. He had this planned for months on uh, months ahead of time and they were actually crossing that bridge drunk as fuck and um his friends kind of lost track of him up ahead because because it's not like they were the only group of people on this bridge this is like like crowded this is shoulder to shoulder hustle bustle it's very easy to get caught up in the in the flow of things so um adolfo had sent out some men uh, Lil Seraphine and three others to stake out the bridge, and then they saw Mark Kilroy. And um, they asked him if he needed a ride. They scooped him up in their truck, and they said they needed to make one stop. And when they stopped at this other bar on their way home, um, Mark actually got out and ran off. But because all of the followers were dressed as cops, he thought they were oh, actual no. policemen. And so he ran off, but they said, Freeze! And he instantly thought, oh, they have guns. So he went back to them. Yep. And uh, they tied him up. They threw him in the back of the truck. And they actually had a day's time in between because Adolfo was out of town and on his way home. So they had to wait for Adolfo to get back. So they put Mark Kilroy in the back of this truck all tied up and shit, excuse me, and gagged for a whole day. Just let him stay back there. That sucks. And the groundskeeper um, of the ranch, now he had nothing to do, like very adamantly had nothing to do with anything. He just took care of the ranch. Um, I don't know why I love that, but I do. I love him. He, you'll love him at the end. He's a, he's a good guy. Um, but he noticed Mark Kilroy tied up in the back, and he took the gag out of his mouth and fed him some eggs. Well, that's nice at least. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like, hot. I don't like, know if I want cute. eggs. Yeah, it's like spring break in Mexico. I'm, I'm hungover the, in the, the back of this truck. The last thing I want is eggs, mister, but thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Could you just untie me, perhaps? No. Right. right. Yep. Um, but yeah, soon uh, Adolfo came back, and he was so happy to see what was in the back of the truck. They brought him straight into the shed. Murder Shack. Murder Shack. And that is where uh, he went with Elio and Martine, and they took Mark, sodomized him, and castrated him alive, sliced off the top of his skull, and fed his brain to the Nganga. And he even said, like, when he put this kid's brain into the Nganga, he was like, well, an American college student will make my Nganga very intelligent. Will it? Will it, though? Then he ordered the other members into the shed to mutilate the body, or the body and El Duby was the first at cutting his legs off. And while he was cutting the legs off, all the others just kind of stood around and joked because they were so desensitized from yeah, all of it. Yeah, at this point, yeah. And then they took the heart out and cut out the spine and buried the rest. And then they all went out for burgers and fries like they do every other time. But unlike the rest... 
Mark's friends began searching for him, reporting him missing, and the media went nuts. It was reported everywhere, but Adolfo and his people were still not mentioned, so they believed that even more so they were invincible and that they needed another sacrifice to keep their protection up. So a few days later, Sarah came up to Adolfo saying that her ex-boyfriend, the one Adolfo had taken her from, um, his name is um, Gilberto, um, she said that he was trying to get her back and that she didn't really like it. So Adolfo was like, you know what? I'll take care of that. So Sarah lured um, uh, Gilberto to Adolfo's house. Or back to her apartment where Adolfo was waiting, sorry. And then he took Gilberto by gun back to the ranch where he did all the slicing and dicing and all the things that he normally does to everybody else. And then they went back out for burgers. God. And before before they could even crack into the 1,700 pounds of pot that they have just sitting around, um, they have to commit another murder um so that way they can keep up their protection even more so and this was a man by the name of victor um Saceda. he was a man that was friends with al Duby, um or that was friends with the man that al Duby had shot um just a few months previously um he was the man that like was shot accidentally and then they had to redo right. the ritual yeah. and so they had found out that this victor guy wanted um to get back at them, and then he wanted revenge over his dead dead friend. And so Adolfo obviously didn't like this. So he had two crooked cops pick up this man and drop him off in an alley where his followers were waiting. He picked him up and took him to the shed and said, Welcome to the house of the devil. Your soul belongs to me now. That would upset me. <laughs> Removed his fingers and uh, toes and then castrated him. They removed his skin from his face while he was still alive. That's such bullshit. And then they sliced open his brain and fed his valuable parts to the Nganga. <sighs> okay, I'm almost done with all the killing, but I just need to, like say at least a little bit of this just for emphasis on how fucking vile this thing was um so then little seraphine is out and he's just running errands and he sees a police checkpoint up ahead he firmly just as long as or just as well as all the other followers they all believe that the padrina has powers that they have protection and so he thought he was invisible to law enforcement so he kept driving he thought that even when the police started following him, that he could enter the ranch without them because he believed that there was some sort of force field barrier around it. And the police just drove right up in there. And as soon as the police saw a statue of some weird god outside of the place, they knew that they were up to something here. So up they, to no good. They were up to no good. So they get in there, and little Seraphine... Um, it's like they don't even have to force these people into this stuff because they think that they're protected, so they just do it. But they force little Seraphine to um, open up the warehouse where all of their drugs were. And so instantly, all of the members of this cult get um, arrested for um, on drug charges. And still thinking that, like, nothing could happen to them, they just all start laughing and making jokes, and this, like, really pisses off the police. Now the police start torturing them to get them to talk about other stuff um, using Tabasco and soda water. 
and spraying it into their noses and their eyes. Kind Sounds of like... pleasant as fuck. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them wouldn't talk. So they questioned Domingo, who was the caretaker of the land, and he had no ties to anybody. So he was like, fuck it, I'll talk to anybody about anything. He's like, so he spills all the They're killing people up in the shit. They throw in their beans. parts. Yeah. yeah, he was like, I have nothing to do with magic or anything like that, but... Um, I see things, and that guy that's on all the missing posters, I totally fed him eggs, and uh, he dead. Like, I don't, I didn't see him dead, but I know he dead, because... It's stinky It's over stinky. There. Um, so then the police started questioning Lil' Seraphine, and still believing that they were saved by magic, Lil' Seraphine admitted everything. He was like, yeah, we killed at least a dozen people, including that American. And then he offered to take them to the shed where the rituals took place. And then once inside, they saw, like, how fucking grotesque that shed was. It was I just... I can't even imagine. It was just... There's some pictures. Um, but it's just covered in blood and chains and hooks and, and implements. Like and shit. It's so fucking gross. And then Lil Seraphine took them to every single one of the graves, one by one, saying, look, we did that. And look, yeah, we did that. And look, if you pull this little wire up out of the ground, it's connected to somebody's fucking backbone. Um, it was over 14 graves. That he had taken them to. And all while he's doing this, um, Ovidio slips out of the ranch and he goes off to wherever Adolfo is and warns him. And then they take Adolfo, Sarah, Martin, and El Duby and El Gato and they run away. And they, they're on the run. They go to a Holiday Inn in Brownsville. Um, Adolfo calls his mom. And it's reported that every time Adolfo talks to his mom he uses like this really whiny baby voice and it's really really stupid and i really hate it um <laughs> it's like uh mommy i'm i'm on the run from the police and um, i'm really innocent though um okay yeah bookie um <laughs> but by now like like this is in 1989 so this is like when the satanic panic is like really going crazy um and we didn't even have none of that shit here so why were we panicking right well because it's on the texas border and it's a texas kid oh yeah that really it's it's, it's out. yeah it's definitely part of i i know that this case like was part of it mm -hmm. and, well because uh, they didn't really have a name for this cult until all of this hit the news and that's when they were dubbed the narcos narco satanicos or the satanic drug dealers even though that's really not accurate no not at all um but adolfo fled to mexico city soon after this with most of the group um but Algato was caught he actually convinced the officers that he was a college student and then they released him and he was never seen again the remaining members still thought this was a joke and they were enjoy they were really annoying the officers like the ones that were in custody and, um, and they like, and the officers were obviously taking this seriously. So one of the officers took his AK-47 and fired it next to Elio's head. And this ended up rupturing Elio's eardrum and like just blood gushing everywhere out of his ear. And, um, this is when Elio decided that it was time for him to talk. And so he gave them Adolfo's addresses to all of the houses and apartments that he owned across Mexico City. And in most of these each one had its own nganga and its own, like, basically its own crime scene. So yeah. they had to process all of that shit. Um, meanwhile, while they're finding out all of this, they're showing all of the evidence on news. Like, everything is live. And 
Sarah starts getting freaked out about this. Sarah didn't really know everything that was going on. And she, like, she claims that she has no idea. I find she that was, shit. It's one of those, yeah, it's like that one lady. Um, but it's one of those situations where she was involved to a certain point, but she wasn't involved the entire time. I still don't buy it. I think she knew some she had sick shit was going on. She had on. to have known. But Adolfa made a plan for them to escape to South America, but since their photos were everywhere across the news, they needed disguises. So Adolfo cut his long hair and dyed it red and started wearing Hawaiian t-shirts. Um, I actually found the, the photo of him dead, and I was like, which one is him? Because I couldn't tell because he had dyed his hair and was wearing weird clothes. I was like, oh, that's him. Um, and... Salvador had brought them a whole bunch of weapons and ammo and they were staying at like various hotels across Mexico City. Now at this point the police wasn't doing their job properly like they really couldn't find them they couldn't get any more information out of them so the FBI stepped in and this is where they actually like used some smarts and stopped thinking everybody's satanic and the FBI looked into what religion they were actually practicing and they realized that this was not satanism that this was palomayombe and that they could get to him through the nganga so they get a what is called a karandera which is uh like basically the equivalency of like a healer or a shaman and they bring him to the ranch and on camera on live news in front of everybody this um Crandera takes gasoline to the shed, lights it on fire, and for some reason, the Nganga doesn't burn. So they take the Nganga separately, and while on live camera, he destroys the entire Nganga. That's awesome. And, of course, Adolfo's watching this. And Adolfo, when he sees this, he screams for over an hour straight. Oh, my God. While just, like, breaking everything in sight. And it was said that, like, even after he lost his voice... He still like like screamed like through a raspy like. That's fucked. Yeah, up. like he went in total n- nutso. Um, and it was even said that like when he destroyed the Nganga, um, and set fire to it, that he released a white dove, and if the white dove were to live, um, that it would mean that it was successful, and apparently the white dove lived. Now, I don't really know how they watch this dove and make sure it lives, but whatever. Um, it was successful. The Nganga is dead. And, yeah, so now Adolfo is, like, freaking the fuck out. Now the Nganga's dead, and he has nothing to protect him, so he starts walking around carrying an Uzi everywhere he goes. He went and uh, forged a suicide pact with the remaining followers, saying that they'd meet again once they were all dead. Salvador talked him out of it, um, saying that he had a place in Guatemala, um, that they could go get plastic surgery to hide their identity, but Sarah tried to go get plastic surgery, and the surgeon was like, hell no, I know exactly who you are, I'm not giving you any surgeries. So she freaked out. She did a bunch of shit. She, like, tried to get people to, like, recognize her. She tried going up to the police and being like, hey, I'm Sarah, I, like, know where Adolfo is. They're like, I don't know who you are, please go away. (laughs) Um, She even, like, threw a piece of paper out their window saying, like, I am kidnapped and I need help and if you don't help me, a cult is going to kill me. And nobody fucking did anything. Um, It wasn't until, like, 
like the police started to realize that someone tipped off the police that Sarah was trying to get recognition Mm -hmm. and that she was trying to be found. And so the police put up like um, barriers, like checkpoints around the area. And Adolfo saw out the window that one of the checkpoints was right outside their window. They didn't know. The police didn't know. That that was their hidey hole? No, they had no they idea. They had no idea. It was a coincidence. It was a coincidence. But Adolfo saw that and freaked the fuck out and was like, okay, we got two magazine clips. Let's go. Let's go. So, um, yeah, Adolfo like saw them and he screamed, this is it. He took the Uzi and fired several rounds in the direction of the police. No one was hit, but they did return fire. Adolfo threw wads of cash out the window and screamed, This is for you, poor animals. Take it. And as the people, like the bystanders, started to like run up and start to scoop up the cash, the police had to like get them away. And during this time, the police are calling for backup. Adolfo orders his followers to burn the rest of the money and give him the rest of the ammo. El Doobie and... Adubi said that there was only two magazines left and Adolfo realized it was time to surrender and that it was time to die. Or that they were surrounded and it was time to die. Yeah, I mean, there's no good outcome. No, you're done. You're done. And so Adolfo took Martin, or Martin, um, into this little closet that was in the room. He closed the door and he had El Doobi fire an entire magazine at them. That's Killing them man. instantly. Yeah. So he, he ended, emptied the clip and um, and then he had that last magazine left. He just took that last magazine and just fired it into the sidewalk right outside the window. Like just, just wasted it. And then waited for the cops to come in. Because he was, him and Sarah were supposed to kill themselves. But they didn't. No. And so they got arrested. El Dubi, um still thought that they were magically protected, still thought that Adolfo would come back from the dead. And it wasn't until he was shown Adolfo's headless body on the autopsy table that he realized that his padrino was really gone. And that's when he started, like, gagging and crying and, like, really freaking out. In several press reports, El Dubi and Omar talked about how, um, about the magical rituals that they did and all of the different things that they did on the farm or the ranch. But Sarah stayed quiet and it wasn't until 1989 that she confessed or later that year that she confessed, um, to being involved in the murders, but she never really said exactly what involvement she had. Um, Agato was obviously the only one that got away Four, 14 of Adolfo's followers were indicted on conspiracy and obstruction of justice. Um, Omar was convicted but died of AIDS before he was sentenced. Before he died, he said that the religion would live because live on because there were more members out there, including a temple in Monterey. Martin's sister told police that Adolfo's first La Madrina, um, which apparently there was one before Sarah, was still practicing somewhere in Guadalajara. And it's re- it's reported that they killed at least two, at least twenty. And upwards oh, of more. upwards of over a hundred people. I would guess it's closer to that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, That's that is ride. that is the wild, insanely long, but insanely graphic story of the narco satanists and the crazy antics of Adolfo Constanza. 
and why he's not talked about, why this ruthless fucking killer yeah, is never I mean, mentioned. I will, I will bring up that I have heard about this case, but very little and a long time ago. Yeah. It's totally forgotten about. Um, a lot of the cults we're going to talk about, because look, we considered covering the People's Temple, the Jim Jones thing. It's right. Y'all, it's been done. We already know about it. If you, uh, it, and it ain't Kool-Aid, it's Flavor-Aid. Yeah. They drank the Flavor-Aid, not the Kool-Aid. And if there are some beautiful documentaries, you just watch them. I'm not going to cover something that's been covered 80,000 times. Yeah, we're not going to beat a dead horse. And it, that one's gone. It's gone. I'm also not going to cover the Charles Manson. No, we already know about the that. Manson family, mm-hmm. mostly because I just, y'all, you know, I just really hate Charles Manson. Yeah, I hate the I'm cultural icon. I'm over it. I'm over it. So I, I will talk about the very briefly the case I'm going to cover next. Okay. And I'm just going to mention it. I'm covering Heaven's Gate cult. And did were crimes committed? Yes. Sort of, but it's just really cool and weird. And uh, they basically believed that a spaceship was going to come to Earth and take them away. That's going to be a nice palate cleanser after all of this dismemberment. No, it won't. (laughs) Everyone dies in this one. Hooray. Hooray. But I just, you know, how do you convince people to die? I don't understand. I don't understand how, like, you can get large groups of people thinking that, oh, shit, that there's an afterlife, and oh, fuck. <laughs> oh Willow, are, like, are you telling me that's, that certain popular religions today might be a cult? Perhaps <gasps> most religions, if not all. Yeah, totally. Looking at you, Pope Francis. Everybody, on, like, he's got a good PR agent, because everybody on social media is like, oh, he's my favorite pope. He's a good pope. He's a cunt, you guys. He told people, his followers... To, if you had a trans child, you had to disown them. Yep. And that's why my husband doesn't talk to his family. It seems like across the board, every cult that I've heard of is racist. Yep. Trans and or like homophobic. Misogynist. Misogynistic. And also like super touchy with children and like... And non-consensual sex is, like, just across the board. I will tell you, Heaven's Gate got none of that. Well, that's good. It would have been wholesome and nice, but it goes off the rails. They always go off the rails. They do. They do. I want to start a cuddling cute puppy dog cult. Walking through the forest, taking pictures of mushrooms, looking at the cute little I can see immediately how that would get fucked up. Oh, because what happens is people start adding drugs and sex and money. And that's where it gets all fucked up. Yeah. All fucked up. Anyway, as always, if you liked this episode or any of our other episodes, please consider supporting us on patreon.com slash cruelty. Yeah. And no ads. Yeah, and we we do true crime on our Patreon, but we also do a lot of like um, just interesting topics and mm-hmm. all kinds of different things. Like That's we don't right. really have any rules on Patreon. There ain't so no rules. If especially like episodes like this where it's just fucking gruesome, um, and you need a palate cleanser, like head on over to our Patreon and we're goobers. You know, like we're silly. Listen to me talk about Victorian UFOs. Yeah, we have fun with it. We yeah. have fun with with all different types of stories. Um, and and I would like to also say thank you guys for making Maris Mondays a, a bit of a hit. Yes. 
Yeah. It meant a lot. And we're covering crop circles next. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I, it was one of the things I never really got too into because I kind of thought it was bullshit. But I've been researching and it may not be bullshit. That's exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. But anyway, it's late and we're tired and I'm hungry and I got to go to bed. So I love you. We love you. Good night. Good night. Find us on your social media platform of choice. Linktree slash cruelty has all of the links. Check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, merch, ad-free episodes, live ghost hunts, and much more. Please be sure to subscribe. New episodes are uploaded weekly. Thank you so much. See you next time. Music and production by Willie Beats.